Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for what you're doing uh, for the ministry and what you're doing for me. And we give praise unto you, O Lord, for everything that you're doing. And uh, Lord, Please bless this meeting and bless us to understand and perceive things and uh, be encouraged and so on. Okay, we're going to continue with Trials of Faith. Prepare us for battle number three. All right. Surrender ownership is the first one we're going to do here. 5-11-23, Samuel Fire. I dreamt that I was with my family and with other brethren. We all decided to have a group barbecue at a water park. The water park, I believe, represents the apostate church where they go to be entertained while only playing in the water (laughs) of the word. Uh, The barbecue represents fiery trials for the flesh to be sacrificed. Amen. This park had a bunch of wild animals which were treated kindly and were uh, dotted around the area being left alone. They were like a theme to the water park. Uh, I believe the wild animals represent unsaved worldly people around us and uh, in the apostate harlot church who are part of the beast kingdom. We were all having fun and were going to go for a swim. And one of the neighbor adults was uh, hesitant due to a fear of the animals and didn't know if they were dangerous. I said, uh, the worst animal here is a duck. (laughs) That is completely harmless and cute, which would uh, just uh, paddle nearby. So, We were then all waist-deep in the water, splashing, and the children were excited and having fun with shouts of glee. Uh, Suddenly, I saw someone grab my laptop. They decided to use it and wanted to swim at uh, the same time. I was gritting my teeth and being as lenient and kind as I could. Uh, In the natural, uh, I would have gone berserk. (laughs) And kept it safe and far away from anyone else. Well, God uses family and even brethren, he says, to try us and to crucify our flesh. True, true. We go through these every day. They're tests. We should pay attention to them and do the best we can, right? By the grace of God. So this kind of fiery trial is what the barbecue is doing. The flesh is being burned up while we do not give into it, right? 
And Psalm 39 and 3 says, My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned. There you go, burning up the flesh. Suddenly, they had it in the water with them before I could react. Then, as expected, the laptop got wet and stopped working. They were trying to drip off the water to get it to work, but uh, to no avail. I was upset and, uh, and grabbed it from them and said, If you wanted to do this, have the expectations to replace this. <laughs> all my life's work is on this, and I need to use this all the time. They all fell silent. Even when someone is being used by God to crucify our flesh, we are to not react in the flesh. We are to forgive and love them uh, just as Jesus did. Because Jesus always has a solution, doesn't he? Yeah. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born in adversity. Yes. First Peter 4 and 8. Above all things, being fervent in your love among yourselves, for love covereth a multitude of sins. And 1 Corinthians 13 and 7. Love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things, all things. I then felt sorry, and I repented to Father for my heart uh, and reaction to them and the whole situation. I felt that our Father would easily replace it, and I shouldn't get upset over something our Father had provided, and everything belongs to Him. Amen. It's the Holy Spirit, He says, uh, who convicts us uh, when we're wrong and, and brings us into the image of Jesus for all eternity so we can let go of everything that isn't holy and isn't the Word of God. Amen. Uh, and I would say may, many do not rep, repent and justify their feelings and actions towards others who behave in weakness or ignorance. And it's a gift of God to repent when we realize that we have reacted in the flesh in a situation. True. Uh, all right, we call this one Trials Passing Through the Harlot Church. Tiana Fire, 121-23. I dreamt that Samuel and I were journeying in a red van. Uh, and in parenthesis, she says, we are covered in the blood of the Lamb. Yes. To a good place of the promised land with many other brethren in the back of the van. Samuel was driving, and I was in the passenger seat next to him. We stopped in a town where they were professing Christianity. We only wanted to be there for the night to rest and then continue our journey. Well, there are many who claim Christianity, but they are part of the harlot church who look and act like the world. And uh, we are to pass through these church denominations as we grow up very quickly, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> and uh, We met the leader of the town. His name was Cornelius. 
And in the New Testament, there was a Roman centurion named Cornelius, which means of a horn. Everyone in the town tried to make us feel welcome, although they were not spiritually on the same page as us, and they were still kind. Well, most of Christianity are not spirit-filled and mind the things of the flesh, and uh, yes, they're kind, unless they're tried or tested. <laughs> and um, Cornelius gave Samuel and I a tour of a house. The house was absolutely perfect, and the type of house I, I would like. It was small, with an open living area, with only one bedroom and two bathrooms. Literally everything uh, in the house was exactly how I would want it. And uh, one bathroom had a deep bath and a nice shower that was set up for, with uh, climbing steps that I thought our son would love. So in the dream, I kept repeating how this house was what I would like and how awesome the design was, and I would have it all the same way. Well, in our journey to the promised land, God knows our weaknesses and what our flesh would be tempted with, uh, which we learn to say no to and die to because we know that God has better things and he doesn't want us camping out here. We got to get through these denominations and tests and get on with the program, you know. At the end of the tour, they said that if we stayed in this this town that they would let us have the house for free. Oh, another lure, huh? So this sounds like the prosperity gospel of worldly comforts. I knew this house would be better than I expected. However, I certainly did not want to stay in this town. And I wanted to be regularly around people who are on fire for God and want more of Him and are growing in Him. And I knew this was the enemy tempting me. Well, surely we all tempted along the way. So we're all faced with the desires of the flesh and are tempted to compromise. We uh, have to forsake all in order to follow the Lord and uh, not give in to our flesh. First uh, Corinthians 10 and 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as man can bear. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation make also the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We tried to get alone uh, with the brethren we traveled here with, but we were unable to because there were so many people in this community and they just kept wanting to talk. I found out from uh, one brother that he was also tempted with a free house. Well, you know, the harlot churches uh, tempt the flesh with worldly comforts and, and nothing about growing up in the Lord and uh, crucified life. Proverbs 5 and 3 says, uh, For the lips of a strange woman drop honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. In Proverbs 7 and 21, With her 
much fair speech, she causeth him to yield. Mm-hmm. It was now night, and everyone was gathered around a fire. We felt that we should leave this place right now. So we went to find the brethren to tell them that we were going to leave, and all but one of them agreed to leave, and this one person decided to stay in this town. Well, many people desire to stay in the comfort and ease of the denominational churches, and in the parable of the seed and sower, uh, this person represents those where the seed was sown among the thorns. Luke 8 and 14. And that seed which fell among the thorns, these are they that have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to protect perfection. So we looked for the van to leave, but we couldn't find it anywhere, so we decided to just walk the rest of the way. Hmm. We all planned to meet in a forest just outside of the town. And on our way out, some people noticed that we were leaving, and they started chasing after us. We ran to the meeting spot, and together we started running through the forest. We didn't know where to go, but felt in spirit uh, when to stop and where, where to turn, etc., a few of the brethren uh, gave up running, and they didn't want to stay in the forest, so they just went back to the last town. Yep. The, tr the tribulations will weed people out, right? The Apostle Paul exhorts us to continue in the race and endure to the end. 1 Corinthians 9 and 24. Know ye not that they that run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. Even so run that you may attain. One receiveth the prize, that's Jesus. Those who abide in Jesus will receive the prize. Hebrews 12 and 1. Lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. You don't want to be distracted in these coming days with the things of the world and the pleasures of life, right? And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Amen. Well, uh, not everyone who starts out with this in the race continues to the end. Uh, many fall away and go back to their worldly ways. Uh, many of Jesus' disciples chose not to continue to follow him uh, in John 6, 6, 6, right? Notice the number. Uh, because they felt his words were too hard for them to hear and uh, to do them. And also we see in the sixth book of Romans, and 6 and 6, there it is again, 6, 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, so that we should no longer be in bondage to sin. Amen. We ran until the next day, and around midday we arrived at another town. 
We jumped over a fence to get into the town and searched around, not wanting to draw attention to ourselves. Samuel heard uh, the Lord say that he would provide another vehicle in this town to continue the journey. And while we were in this town, a few people uh, got distracted with food in a marketplace, and they decided it was too much to continue the journey. Well, I don't know if you know it or not, but Pentecostal people realize they can't do a lot, so one thing they do do is eat. (laughs) Many Pentecostal people get in idolatry with food and get weighed down with the world. Weighed down. (laughs) They, uh, They wanted to settle down and stay in a place where they would always have access to food, water, shelter, and other comforts. Yep, that's not like the wilderness, you know. There's uncertainties there, and you grow in your faith there, right? So they didn't have uh, to contend with the trials of living by faith and and chose to go back to the worldly comforts and uh, fleshly satisfaction. And Paul says in Philippians 3 and 19, whose God is the belly and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. In Second Timothy 2, 3-5, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier on service entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enrolleth him as a soldier. And if also a man contend in the games, he is not crowned except that he contend lawfully. So we have an example. Our example is Jesus, right? We're just a passing through. Sojourners, right? The Israelites didn't like uh, the manna in the wilderness. They longed for the flesh pots and the foods that they were accustomed to in Egypt where they were in bondage to the old man. And God's people are being called out of Egypt to follow the man-child Jesus into the wilderness where they lived their crucified life and where they were to deny self and learn to rely completely on God to provide. Walk by faith, right? We met a few people in this town who wanted to join us. The Lord blessed us with a green van. Uh, Green represents life. And more brethren, although we had lost all the brethren who started out with us except one. Again, in the parable of the sower, uh, only when one went on to uh, bear the fruit of Christ. And uh, Mark 4 and 20 says, And those are they that are sown upon the good ground, such as hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Yes. So can't watch the masses, whatever they do. You have to be sure that you don't do that. Because notice, three out of four fell away. So you watch the masses and you follow them, you will miss it. Not everyone continues with us, and as we have seen, some have come and gone from us, and we will see this in the tribulation period, too. 
1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they all are not of us. Mm-hmm. Yep. We continued our journey in the green van, not wanting to get distracted and keeping watch to make sure we didn't give in to the flesh, but persevere in getting to our desired destination, which is without the flesh, right? <laughs> Philippians 3 and 14. I press on towards the goal unto the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Yep. Well, the high calling of Christ uh, to to be in the bride and to manifest the hundredfold fruit should be high on our mind, right? Okay, we call this cleansing idols from the heart. Anonymous twelve ten twenty two. I sought the Lord regarding idols in our heart and heard. Be aware of idols of insecurity and selfishness. You need to reshape and rethink on how you perceive the life in Christ. Well, that's because He is our example, not just our Savior and our sacrifice, right? In Colossians 3, 3 to 4 says, For you died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when the Christ, our life, shall be manifested, then shall ye also with him be manifested in glory. Ephesians four twenty two through 24 That you put away as concerning your former behavior the old man that waxeth corrupt after the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, that after God hath been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Insecurity is um, where you want or require something uh, that when put to the test, uh, does it promote eternity with me? And it would be thrown out into the fire. I supply all your needs and desires for your heart. Continue to replace the earthly and always put me first and keep a watch for the things that could be contrary to my word. And I would say, remember that we own nothing. We are only stewards. We're handling it for God. Luke 14 and 33. So therefore, whosoever he be of you that renounceth not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. We have to renounce ownership. Father will supply our every need, not necessarily our every greed, right? Matthew 6 and 33, But seek ye first the kingdom and righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So you don't have to worry about packing them with you, right? Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply your every need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Keep on believing that and confessing that and you will find out it works. 
Psalm 37, 4, 5. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thy heart. That's what we want. We want the desires of the Lord in our heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. True. First Thessalonians 5 and 6. So then, let us not sleep as do the rest, but let us watch and be sober. Self, selfishness is where there is pride and misunderstanding, uh, especially what has been taught and learned through the world's ways and the religious organizations. Um, and this all comes between us. Proverbs 13 and 10, By pride cometh only contention. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 10 and 24 says, Let no man seek his own, but each his neighbor's good. Yes. As we give, it will be given unto us, right? Philippians 2, 4 and 5, Not looking each severally to his own things, but each severally also to those of others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Yep, you noticed he wasn't really lusting after the world, neither, nor his disciples. The most important thing to them was what was important to God. Well, the renewal of your mind is the best place to begin, to be cleansed and sanctified. And after these things, uh, we're to put into check and aligned back according to uh, my son, he said, and my word. You can receive and manifest a hundredfold. Amen. We want to please the Lord above all things. When you please the Lord, you're in the right path. And when your flesh is suffering because it doesn't get what it wants, you're in the right path. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, well-pleasing to God, your spiritual service. And be not fashioned according to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and well-pleasing and perfect will of God. Colossians 3 and 10. And have put on the new man that is being renewed unto knowledge after the image of him that created him. What knowledge? Well, the renewing of your mind with the word of God, right? Luke 8 and 8. And others fell into the good ground and grew and brought forth fruit a hundredfold. Mark 10 29 and 30, Jesus said, Amen, I say unto you, there is no one that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for my sake, and for the gospel's sake, but he shall receive a hundredfold now. Like when a bath is filled up with water, you get in, and the water rises. And when you get out, you can fill it up all the way to the top. The objects uh, within, uh, idols, I would say, are of no value. And when removed, then they enable more room to be filled with me, says the Lord. 
Aim and focus on the hardest and most hidden of evil. This is self. Learn to hate the concept and mindset of being an individual. Instead, you need to incorporate my son as he is the perfect replacement. Amen. Most of the church doesn't have the vision of coming into the likeness of Jesus. They think it's impossible, and they like that because it lets them hold on to their flesh. Right? Psalm 51 and 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. John 3 and 30, He must increase, but I must decrease. And Proverbs 8 and 13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way. And the perverse mouth do I hate. Yep. Amen. To get past um, all of self and anything that is carnal and fleshly, you need to seek and find and route out all the things that can be of this type. Keep an eye and an ear on the self. Watch out for outward evil manifestations and bring it into the light for full exposure. Ephesians 5 and 8, For you were once darkness, but are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So he's still hearing this voice of the Lord speaking these things, okay? Just want to remind you. Ephesians 5, 11 through 13, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather even reprove them. For the things done by them in secret, it is a shame even to speak of. But all things, when reproved, are manifested by the light. For everything manifested is light. Yes, and Psalm eighteen twenty eight says, For thou wilt light my lamp. The Lord my God will lighten my darkness. Amen. Speak it out and pray it out and know that it is a process for it all to go. Yes, sanctification or holiness is a process where God shows us what needs to be cleansed and gives us the faith that we uh, were cleansed at the cross. So believe that you are at the end of your current state and are already perfected in Christ. It's just the flesh and soul with understanding that needs to catch up. Uh, Colossians 1 and 27 says, To whom God was pleased to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the nations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into manifold temptations, knowing that the proving of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking in nothing. And I would say 1 John four seventeen says, Herein is love made perfect with us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, even so are we in this world. That's why you look in the mirror and you see Jesus until you come into that same image, right? 
Amen. Okay, we call this the seed. Uh, one thirteen twenty three, given to Samuel Fire. I saw a giant oak tree dropping acorns. That's the seed, right? From its branches. The tree was uh, praying that these seeds would sprout. I don't know about trees praying, but uh, we are like this tree when we sow seeds that we expect to bring forth fruit, right? And we can pray that they will bring forth fruit. Some animal, maybe a squirrel, grabbed one of the one and broke it open, uh, but for some reason was startled and dropped it on the ground. Well, the little beast natures in our life seek to devour the seed that it become unfruitful, right? It landed where a smaller tree had been knocked over, and it fell in the soft fresh dirt near it. I would say the smaller tree that had been knocked over is where somebody lost their position in the kingdom and now it was being replaced. Did you know that that's what the Lord does? Yes. The soft fresh dirt represents the good ground in the heart to receive the seed of the word. And John 12 and 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat fall into the earth and die, it abideth by itself alone. But if it die, it beareth much fruit. The oak tree somehow knew this was pleased because that it, that it was pleased that it would be a good spot to grow. All right. He knew it would be a good spot to grow. So throughout uh, the Bible, God likens people to trees. Israel is like the fig tree. And Hosea 9 and 10 says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at its first season. And Mark uh, 8 and 24. And he looked and said, I see men, for I behold them as trees walking. Mm -hmm. Isaiah 61 and 3, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Amen. Amen. And Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose trust the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters. That's the waters of the word. It causes it to grow and be healthy, etc. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Amen. Matthew 12 and 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. Mm -hmm. Well, Father plants them where He desires, and He causes them to grow and to bear fruit. But those that do not bear good fruit uh, prove not to be His and are cut down. I then saw us at 
Burger King restaurant where we basically gave all our food to a young couple who we prayed for and shared the gospel seed with them. Then we bought more food, and this time we drove off to eat somewhere else. Uh, This represents constant sowing of our seed into people. Um, We always feel edified when we share the seed with others. Have you noticed that? That's the pleasure of the Lord in you. In Ecclesiastes 11 and 6, it says, In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thy hand, for thou knowest not which shall prosper, whether this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. If you plant a crop, you want to plant a crop that's a little bit bigger than what you expect, right? And uh, according to the parable of the seed and the sower, uh, three of four do not bear fruit. We don't know who will hear and receive it, but we sow the seeds to many people, and the Lord causes the fruit to bear forth in his own. Well, as seeds drop into the ground and the husk dies, so it grows and bears fruit. So our flesh is to die to everything carnal and worldly, so it can grow and prosper in the life of Jesus. The Word of God in the parable of the sower is the seed that brings forth that life. Amen. Here's, uh, we call this Travel to Peace, Anonymous 1422. I dreamt that my husband and I were journeying, journeying to a place called Tully. Tully is uh, Celtic or Irish origin, and it means peaceful flood and from the hill. Tully was a very beautiful place. It was very green, perfect temperature. It was like a paradise on earth with all earthly delights. Well, the earthly delights uh, can represent trials of fleshly lusts that we must overcome. And uh, Jesus is our peace as he leads us through the wilderness towards this Mount Zion. And we continue to abide in Christ Jesus. That's that's heavenly places, right? Uh, John 16 and 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Amen. So to get to this heavenly place, we had to follow a long path that went through many different towns. And all the land to get there was very green and a tropical climate, and the path went through the center of the land. And as we began this journey to Tully, most of it seemed to go very easily. There were no struggles or difficulties. So remember, these are the towns you go through till you get to Zion, right? Your aim is Zion. Your aim is the bride, right? 
In the beginning of our walk, we may not experience much tribulation, but uh, it does lie ahead. Uh, for through much tribulation shall you enter the kingdom. Sometimes the Lord doesn't want to discourage us right off, and He kind of gradually brings us into some things that we need to overcome. So then we saw the first town ahead we had to pass through. This town also looked so very beautiful, and all the land here was green. However, I saw in spirit an extremely deep ocean trench just before entering this town. The trench was hidden by uh, all, all the green grass. And if someone wanted through, walk through this particular area, they would uh, fall into the trench. It was extremely deep. And honestly, it was very scary. So the, the, uh, the green grass hides um, the pitfalls, you know, on your way to the great promised land, right? So the deep ocean of the waters represents the nations of the world where some fall back into their old lifestyles like the parable of the sower. Um, Revelation 17 and 15, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the harlot sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. The grass represents the flesh, 1 Peter 1, 24, for all flesh is as grass, uh, which, of course, it hides the danger. You know, that's why we are uh, constantly getting rid of the flesh, because it hides the danger. The grass hid the, the pitfall, right? And the trench represents the hidden snares, the traps that are laid out by our enemies to try to entrap us. You remember Pilgrim's Progress? Yeah, that was a good book on that. Psalm 140 and 5, The proud have hid a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. Psalm 35 and 7, for without cause have they hid for me their net in a pit. Without cause have they digged a pit for my soul. Psalm 119 and 110. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet have I not gone astray from thy precepts. But it was revealed to us that we would not fall into it. Amen. So the Lord leads us by the Spirit, revealing the enemy's plans and the way of escape, right? In the next scene, I saw that we had somehow safely made it through the town with the hidden trench, and we were being introduced to men, uh, or to the man that founded the town. This man was extremely rich and very evil. He was telling us how and why he founded it. The logo for the town was an orange and white crab with navy blue as the background. Well, crabs uh, roam on both land and sea, 
and they hide and use their claws to catch and to hold their unsuspecting prey. Hmm. So that could give you a clue to the town, right? And this guy. Hmm. I knew this man had evil desires and intentions. And as he was talking, he did not seem to have any issues with us. He showed us the town, and it looked beautiful, but uh, there was so much hidden agenda here. Well, they hide, and they use their claws to catch and to hold their unsuspecting prey, right? <laughs> so uh, everything is not as it seems, and that's why we have to continually sharpen up our discernment uh, in the Bible. He took us to this underground motel that he owned. Well, crabs hide underground above or below water. The, the rooms went extremely deep underground in water, very deep like an ocean trench, and it was so very dark. There was uh, an elevator that quickly descended underground. There was one room per floor. He showed us one room, which was laid out like a large, tall motel room. One half of the room was filled with water containing sharks. Hmm. And the other half was uh, water containing an octopus. Well, both are predators, aren't they? And that's what we have to watch out for on our path, is these predators. We will be tested. The Word of God gives us discernment. We must stay in the Word of God. When we returned from the underground motel, we met the man's wife, who seemed friendly, and I couldn't understand how she could be with such an evil man. We shared the gospel with them both and spoke about our Lord, and the woman was receiving, but the man was not. It appeared that this man held nothing against us, despite his evil intentions. Yes, their smooth and fair speech beguile the hearts of the innocents, right? They don't act like they're against you, but they are. Uh, in other words, hiding his evil intentions, right? I was reminded how Christian children go to college to get uh, a higher education in order to get a better job, they think. But uh, they're often spiritually killed by liberal professors as Satan's helpers hiding there, right? I said to the man that I am believing and hoping for God to give him repentance, even if it's only a short time before his death. I want him to repent and be with our Lord. Well, bless everyone with truth in love. Um, Luke 6 and 27 through 28 says, But I say unto you that here love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you, and bless those uh, that curse you, and pray for those reviling you. Yes, amen. Okay, um, I think we'll go. We said goodbye to them and went to leave the town 
when we overheard some men shouting. We went over to them and saw how they were trying to stop six Christians from following Jesus. The Christians refused and were threatened, and then they took them to the underground rooms containing the sharks and octopus. It was made known that they put the Christians in there to kill them, but if they survived, they would be taken to another underground area containing lions to kill them. Well, Christians are persecuted and killed in covert and overt ways everywhere. And uh, in spiritual and physical ways everywhere. So we are to be steadfast in the faith despite the physical risks. Uh, Matthew 24 and 9 says, Then shall they deliver you up unto tribulation and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all the nations for my name's sake. I believe we're coming to just such a time as this in the tribulation, especially the second half of the tribulation. Matthew 10 and 28 says, And fear not them that kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna, or hell, as it's translated often. Okay, uh, two of these people survived the sharks and octopus and were taken to the underground rooms of the lions. And the men then said that they wanted my baby son. I either said it aloud or in my mind, no, because Jesus has set us free from sin and death, and we won't physically die because it's not us living. They started chasing me, and I knew that they couldn't touch me. But I was, wasn't so sure about my son. So I ran out of the underground cave with them, uh, chasing me. Well, let me say the sun can represent a couple of things. It could represent um, your spiritual man. And, of course, the devil is always out to kill your spiritual man. Okay. And, I'll, and another one I'll mention here a little lower. It says, I started uh, flying forward and off the ground. That means overcoming the world, right? And I asked God to take my baby now up to heaven. Like Enoch and Elijah were taken and that uh, God won't let him physically die. I lifted him up to heaven while flying, and I saw him be lifted up higher and higher out of my arms. Hmm. And um, they gave the N-E-N-T version here, which is good. Revelation 12 and 5. And she was delivered of a son, a male, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and unto his throne. Amen. Another interpretation of uh, the son. Both could be right. Okay, this is uh, Marie Kelton, uh, a dream she received on ten fourteen twenty three. 
AIDS IN THE WATER I had a quick dream that I was telling someone that the government or the deep state was putting HIV, AIDS, in the water. There have been many prophecies about this happening, and uh, the deep state are always up to depopulation, right? But behind all this, God is in control. He will use this to test his saints and to see if they will believe his word and trust him for his uh, protection so that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, right? Mark 16 and 18 says, They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. You just have to believe that. And um, that's how you receive it. For many, this will be a judgment that we hope will bring them to repentance. Amen? Because the curses of this world are meant to cause us to run to Jesus. Okay, this one was uh, The Cross by Samuel Fire, 10-1-22. I looked at a Bible cover that we read occasionally when near the kitchen. And as I looked at the symbol of the cross, I felt the Lord say, The cross, it is an upside-down sword, a declaration of victory. There are no more foes to battle and it is pushed into the earth. Well, that's just like the long end of the cross. It's pushed into the earth, right? And, of course, that's that brings us to the end of our battle is the death of self, right? And just as victorious uh, a victorious knight would do at the end of a battle, in other words, just shoving the sword in the dirt, right? It is done. It is finished. Luke eleven twenty two and 23. But when a stronger than he shall come upon and overcome him, he taketh from him his whole armor wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. Who is not with me is against me, and who gathereth not with me scattereth. John 17 and 4. I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. What's the major work that you come here to do is uh, take up your cross and follow Jesus because only a crucified person can be used like Jesus, right? John 19 and 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 1 Corinthians 15 and 57. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, it's a gift. The victory is a gift. We receive it by believing His Word. Praise God, for He has already done it all. He has given us the grace to overcome the flesh and to get through every trial. He has given us the faith in His Word. He has set us free from the power of darkness. Yes, he has redeemed us out of the hand of our enemies, Luke 1 says. And he has set us free from the curse of sin and death. It is finished. 
the sword is in the ground, right? Yes, amen. And all glory is to the Father, our God Almighty. Amen. Okay, he had a question regarding uh, chest pain, or Anonymous did, 9922, and it was very interesting. I'll share it with you. I had been having chest pain, and I sought the Lord, asking what was causing it, and this is what I heard. The Lord said, You asked of me to deliver you and to heal you. I already have, and your faith is in your soul uh, is lining up with the Spirit. The Spirit is now in charge over you. Your soul cries to me and aches and yearns for me, and I've heard and will manifest in you more. And where it hurts in the body, it has had damage and sin. And this opposing habitat of evil is being cleansed. It does not like or want to let go. Each time my hand, uh, usually an angel, and in prayer with thanks and praise to me, I am destroying this and creating in you a clean heart. The flesh needs to be scrubbed and stripped and all wounds exposed to the truth, the light, the love, and the Holy Spirit. I am digging deep into all roots and flushing out all of this. Well, Ezekiel 36 and 26 says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Hebrews 12 and 15 Looking carefully, lest there be any man that falls short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby the many be defiled. Yes, we know of roots of bitterness. The faction almost always uh, passes on through those spirits of uh, faction and witchcraft, uh, roots of bitterness. And when they spring up, the first thing they want to do is go and bring that trouble to somebody else and dump it on them. So lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby the many be defiled. That's their purpose. We've learned a lot over the years of how to stop these things from continuing to defile more and more people. Well, Ephesians 5 and 26 says that, he might sanctify it, having cleansed it by the washing of water with the Word. If you don't submit to the Word, you will fall into the trench. <laughs> in uh, Psalm 147 and 3, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Ah, so true. The Lord said, Your soul and mind is set on me, and the body proclaims me on your lips. The body must obey my spirit. As the body learns and realizes it cannot do anything without your will, soul, and mind, it obeys me. Then it tries to resist me, but loses every battle. 
So do not condemn yourself in being obedient to me, right? The, the, the pain is ongoing and will be filled more with my love, spirit, and truth. Continue to voice it out. In other words, speak with your heart, right? The living waters and think on my son's life, his blood, life, and wine. Let go. Tell the body. Obey. Each time it hurts, I am here with you. Remember, my son did all for you and showed that the toughest challenge has a greater reward, which you can endure, and the victory was done at the cross. The pain you feel is me cleaning you up of all that is not welcome or required by me. It hurts because uh, it was stained for too long. Now, as it is gone, you also hurt from something you never felt truly before. This is my real love for you. Be in joy. I made you new. My son desires you and no pain or flesh or evil or lies or unclean vessel. Nothing can come between me and you and our marriage for eternity. Bless you for your reward will come more each moment as the wind and the breath and the heart beats. You come to me even closer. I will not forsake this amazing work that I have done and you have proven to me even before you realize it that I want you. I perfected it all for my love, for my glory, and all this pain and hurt is no more as my words prove it. And uh, the last is death. It is defeated even at the beginning. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the everlasting, and you already are with me. And what hurts is that way because it, it casts out forever and cannot win. We are victorious in Christ Jesus, and I love you. Amen. All right. Well, Father, we thank you, Lord, for these exhortations, and we um, thank you for the words that you've given. And uh, we, we want to enter into everything that you are. We thank you for granting us repentance of all things and drawing us unto yourself and manifesting your Son, Jesus Christ, in us. Amen. All right, and Michael Hare is going to come and share something with you. And bless him, Lord, and bless the brethren that listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. And I just want to thank you for being with us today. Lord bless you. And I thank you, Lord, for all the saints that are out there today. And I ask that you bless them with ears to hear and eyes to see. And I ask, Lord, that your provisions would be made plain to them and that your holiness would convict them, Father, and that your word would go into their hearts and that they would be partakers of a whole lamb. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I ask, Father, that you give us your grace today to encourage the brethren, to be bold in their faith, and to believe you for everything, Lord, Lord, our God. And I thank you, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. You know, the Lord loves to do miracles for us. And over in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, 
it says, to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. We limit him so much with our minds because we haven't seen this or we haven't seen that. So we think it has to be impossible. But God's going to do some impossible things. How many of you know God can do impossible things? You know, when the worldly odds are against us, that's when things are in your favor concerning God because in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, it says power is made perfect in our weakness. He wants to show himself strong on behalf of those who put their trust in him. And he's about to do this in an, un, in an unusual way. When Jesus first came, and that's a type and a shadow of what we're going through right now, we know that it was a time of great miracles. The people had never experienced anything like it until Jesus came. And yet now, he's about to come again. And do again what he did in those days, except he's come and manifested in his people to bring that great latter rain revival. And he's going to come unto us, the Bible says in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3, as the rain, as the latter rain that waters the earth. Well, when's that? Hosea 6 and 2 says, on the morning of the third day. That's where we are right now. So, I'd like to talk a little bit about Abraham's experience here because I think as sons of Abraham, we're going to be walking in his steps. We're going to be believing for the impossible. And we're going to see the glorious works of God. Glory to God. I'm going to start over in Romans chapter 4 and verse 16. For this cause it is of faith that it may be according to grace to the end that the promise may be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham. If you're a Christian, you are to walk in the steps of Abraham, our spiritual forefather, in his faith. And it says, who is the father of us all? So if you're born again, you're the true New Testament seed of Abraham. Romans 4 and 17 says, As it is written, <clears throat> A father of many nations have I made thee before him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were, who in hope believed against hope, to the end that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall thy seed be. Who in hope believed against hope? In other words, nobody in Abraham's day had the hope that God would do what he did for them, for, for Abraham. Nobody. Even Abraham himself found it hard and had to struggle with it. When the whole world had no hope, Abraham had hope. And of course, it was a gift of God. He hoped that he might become a father of many nations because of what the Lord had spoken to him. Just uh, So shall thy seed be in Genesis 15 and 5. And it says in Romans 4 19, and without being weakened in faith, he considered his own body. Well, he could see that he wasn't capable 
of bringing to pass what God had promised. And that's why it was hard for him. God told him 25 years before he brought it to pass what he was going to do. And he waited and he waited and he waited. And I'm talking about God waited until it was totally impossible, naturally speaking, for it to come to pass before he brought it to pass so that everyone would know that only God could do this. And that's what God does. This is a miracle. You see, God doesn't ever want to share his glory with man. When we get into a situation that's just totally impossible, don't limit God because that's exactly where he wants to give the answer. And yet that's a place where, that's a place where we most often limit him. And verse 18 says, who in hope he believed against all hope that he might be the father of many nations. And he considered his body now as good as dead, he being about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He knew all this and he understood this. He wasn't lying to himself about this. Verse 20, yet looking into the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God. Looking unto the promise of God, he saw Sarah and he saw himself. He saw his wrinkles and he saw hers. And he just knew, naturally speaking, that there was just no way for him to bring this to pass. And you could say in a spiritual way the same thing is today is about us. Do we really believe that we can bear fruit? Do you know that it is just as impossible for us to bear the fruit of Jesus Christ as it was for Abraham to bear Isaac, who was a type of Jesus Christ, who is the promised seed, right? And it's just as impossible for us to manifest Jesus Christ. And we look at the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 18. This is one David says all the time. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. We see it in the mirror by faith. We see the gift of Christ in us, in the mirror, by faith. And of course, faith is the only thing that's going to bring this to us. And we can, we can't do anything to bring this to pass anymore. Then, uh, Abraham or Sarah could have brought that fruit to fruition. It ain't possible. But Abraham wavered not through unbelief. He knew, according to the flesh, that this thing was impossible. So much so, he laughed. And, of course, Sarah did, too. They both laughed. Well, it was kind of hilarious that God could do this thing in these old people. But they wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Wherefore, also it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. And no matter what you believe God for, folks, if you believe his promise, God calls you righteous in that regard. And there are many who don't. There are many so-called Christians 
who don't believe the promises of God. And they are unrighteous in that regard. Verse 23, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was reckoned unto him, but for our sake also unto whom it shall be reckoned, who believe on him that raised Jesus our Lord from the lead, uh, from the dead, who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. So you see, he's applying the fruit of Jesus in us to the fruit of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah had no power to bring this to pass, but the Lord got the power, don't it? Actually, the Lord waited, and he waited, and he waited. And we can look at this and see it. So let's go to Genesis chapter 12 and look at the story of Abraham. Now you remember that Abraham, his father Terah, and his brother set about to leave Babylon, the Chaldees as they were called in chapter 11. Abraham's father and brother died in the land of the Chaldees. Even though they set about to leave, they didn't make it out. But Abraham did. He left Ur of the Chaldees and he went to the promised land. But his father and brother didn't make it out. But God spoke unto Abraham and told him, you come out from among them. You separate and you go to Canaan's land. And that's where chapter 12 begins. It says in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. Now, here's where this promise first came in. I'm going to make of thee a great nation. Abraham was 75 years old at this time. Then he said, I will bless thee and make thy name great and be thou a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and him that curses thee will I curse. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In thee, in Abraham, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Well, how's that going to happen? In the Old Testament, it wasn't impossible. But in the New Testament, since we just read the story, how that we are in Abraham when we walk by faith and we become a part of his body of people on this earth when we walk by faith. So in thee shall all the families of the earth, and ain't just the Jews now, be blessed. And verse 4 says, So Abram went as Jehovah had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And that was at the beginning. And Isaac wasn't born yet. He wasn't born for another twenty-five years. And God really wanted to make sure that Abraham would not have any part in this, and that no one could give any credit to Abraham. Like Abraham was dead in his body. The curse had come full circle and it had taken its toll upon him and Sarah. And like every one of us, because of the curse, the nature that has been passed on to us through generations and generations, we have no ability to bring forth the fruit, the promised seed of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then if you look over in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 2, 
And Abram said, O Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless, and he that shall be possessor of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This man shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven and number the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. That's the reason we have to leave Babylon, folks, to get our real inheritance in the land of Canaan, in the land of promise, in the land of milk and honey. Abraham was worried. It had been a while, and he had not seen God do what he promised he would do. Now, he's only about 15 years from the answer. And then to punctuate this, Abraham asked God, how do I know you're going to do this? Well, God cut a covenant with him, a blood covenant with him. And from verses 9 on down, God cut a blood covenant with him. What was the purpose of that? Well, it says in verse 18, In that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given thee, given this land from the river of Egypt, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Then he spoke about all the people who lived in the land at the time. And so this covenant was to make sure that his seed inherited all of the land. We've been given a covenant, and just such a covenant, to make sure that we inherit this land. We're talking about the promised land that the spiritual man is supposed to take possession of from the carnal man, from the Canaanite, right? We've been given a covenant to make sure of that too. And this is our guarantee, just like this was Abraham's or Abram's guarantee, that he was going to bear fruit that was impossible to him and just as impossible. And it was getting more and more impossible all the time. Once again, I say, when the odds are against you, according to the world, that's when they're actually in your favor with God. God doesn't do things that are easy. He likes to do things that are impossible. And he was making it more and more impossible because of his waiting and waiting and waiting until Abraham was way past the age. Then it says in Genesis 16 in verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Go in, I pray thee, unto my handmaid. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Well, I want to point something out to you. Abraham was an Adam. 
He was the beginning of a group of people who God was taking out of the world to be his own possession. Remember what the Lord said unto Abram? Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. This is 3 and 17. And because of this, the curse came upon the world. Now we got another Adam. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Jesus was called the last Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. So also it is written, the first man Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. It didn't say he was the second Adam. It says he was the last Adam. Abram was an Adam too. He was the beginning of a new creation and a new people that God was calling his people. His body, his church in the wilderness. And just like Jesus was a new beginning, Abraham was this beginning. And now he was being tempted just like Adam and Jesus were tempted. He was being tempted to take a shortcut and not wait on the Lord and to help God out. How many of you ever know this is real common with us Christians to help God out? But in so many ways, God has to wait until we're dead to that. And this was a part of the thing that was keeping the promise from coming to pass. All the ingenuity that men have to save themselves, and God ain't going to share his glory with anyone else. And we're quick to rely upon another Jesus or to give in to the temptation, right? So Abram hearkened unto the voice of his wife. And as you know, in both cases with Adam and with Abram, this brought a curse. Now I know there's people out there thinking right now, oh, I don't really like that. I have some good news for you, folks. You may be born of Ishmael, or you may be born of Esau. You may be of that lineage. And you've been told, for instance, that Hagar was the real mother, the real wife, that this is all a fairy tale. I want to share some good news with you. It don't make any difference whether you're an Ishmaelite or an Edomite or a Jew or any other Gentile. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever because in the New Testament, we just read one of the most important things in Romans 4 and 16. For this cause it is of faith that it may be according to grace to the end that the promise may be sure to all the seed. All the seed. Not to that only which is of the law. And that's the Old Testament Jews who had that covenant. And it goes on and says, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, a father of many nations, now, the word there is actually Gentile. Have I made thee before him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were? In our covenant, the new covenant, it has a perfect numeric pattern going through it, given the signature of God on it. And the only thing that's important, do you walk in the steps of Abraham concerning his faith? Are you born from above? And are you a member of his lifeline, spiritually speaking? Now, let me show you something that some of you would call some good news. Let's read it in Romans chapter 9 and verse 16. But it, it is not as though the word of God hath come to naught. For they are not all Israel that are of Israel. 
Now look at that carefully. Who is Israel in the New Testament? What Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2, it's not those who are circumcised in flesh, but those who are circumcised in heart that are New Testament Israel. And if you'll notice, he's saying the same thing here. They are not all Israel that are of Israel. All Israel, meaning all of the people of Israel that are of Israel. That is, those who are born of Israel. And then verse 7, neither because they are Abraham's seed, and that's talking about in the flesh, are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, it is not the children of the flesh that are the children of God. It wasn't Abraham's children, according to the flesh, that are the children of God. But the children of the promise are reckoned for a seed, or considered a seed. In other words, it ain't got nothing to do with whether you are a Jew or if you are Abraham's seed in the new covenant. It has to do with whether you walk in the steps of Abraham's faith. That's what makes you an Israelite in the New Testament. In Galatians, it says something real important about who this seed is. And he says in Galatians 4, 28, Now we, brethren, talking about Christians here, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Now, back over in Romans 9, it's not the children of the flesh that are children of God, but the children of the promise are reckoned for a seed. So what physical relationship do the Christian Gentiles have with Abraham? They got no physical connection whatsoever. But the faith is what makes the difference, folks. And we were grafted into the olive tree of all Israel in Romans chapter 11. Because of what? Because of our faith. And they who were the natural seed were broken off because of their unbelief. They didn't believe in the sacrifice of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who came to die for their sin. Now, when you go back over and look at this parable, which is what it is in Genesis 12 through 17, it's just that. It's a parable. It ain't got nothing to do with the physical other than it points towards something greater in the New Testament. We have a New Testament covenant, and this is the shadow of it. It's a shadow of the good things to come, the Bible says. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. Whosoever believes on him. That has nothing to do with being a physical offspring of Abraham. It has to do with being a spiritual offering because you walk in his steps. The Bible says in 1 John 2 and 6, He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. You can't prove that you are a member of Christ's body unless you act just like he acted. And that's why they call them Christians. And you can't prove that you are a member of Abraham's body unless you walk in the faith that he had. And obviously, that's going to be proven one way or the other, whether you are actually a member of Abraham's body or not. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. 
And it don't matter what your lineage is. You can forget about your physical lineage because this old man is not a member of the kingdom of God anyway. That's just dirt. That's the spiritual man is sown in. The spiritual man who is born from above, born of God, he's Abraham, see, because of the faith. And back in Genesis, it says in chapter 16 and 4, and he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Uh-oh. That's a root of bitterness that set in her right then. The Bible says, defiles the many, right there in Ishmael's mother. A root of bitterness. And it was passed on to him because Ishmael, of course, felt rejected by his father. And it says in verse 12, And he shall be as a wild ass among men. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his brethren. So that root of bitterness was carried on by Ishmael. It was inherited through his mother and through his circumstance and through what he went through all the way down until today. We have all inherited the sins of our parents. All of us, and that disqualifies any of us from having any part of the kingdom of God. And the only hope we have is that we would be reckoned to be a seed because of our faith. And that enables us to enter the kingdom, whereas by our works, we'd never be able to enter. And or by our nature, we'd never be able to enter. And that's the real good news, folks. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 17. And over in verse 15, it says, And God said unto Abraham, Well, now he's got a new name. God gave him a new name. He changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And A-H, meaning the brother of, added to his name. And what does name mean? It means nature, character, and authority. It was a change of name, means a change of nature, character, and authority. So now, God called him Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. So here's a man who had never been a father, could not be a father in the natural with his wife, and was now being called by God and by everyone else the father of a multitude. So there was a lot of words of faith that were going up for Abraham when they spoke his name. Pretty neat, huh? You know, Sarah got a name change too. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, which means princess, shall her name be, and I will bless her, and moreover, I will give thee a son of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. <laughs> a lot of people talk about Sarah laughing, but look at here. Abraham laughed too. You can imagine the situation that he was in. He was 86 years old back in chapter 16, verse 16. He was 86. And then verse 18. And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Well, now, here's unbelief talking. 
How about accepting this boy, Lord? We've already got him. We know how it works. Waiting on this faith thing is too hard on our flesh. Well, it always is, isn't it? And God said, Nay, but Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son. Thou shalt call his name Isaac, which means laughter, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, for his seed after him. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. So now that he, we know that he's talking about when Abraham was 99 years old. Now we're 24 years in the future from when he first spoke that promise unto Abraham. Verse 23, And Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God had said unto him. And Abraham was ninety years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In chapter 18 it says, and he, at verse 10, and he said, I will certainly return unto thee when the season comes around and lo, Sarah, thou, thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. And Sarah laughed within herself. She might not have done it out loud, but she did. She chuckled and then sang, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child who am old? They ain't never seen nothing like that happen before. And if they had any reason for unbelief, it was apparent, wasn't it? that nobody had ever seen anything like that ever happen before. And yet, God chose this to glorify himself and to be a type of something that is just as impossible in our day, and that's to bear the fruit of Jesus Christ in us. Ain't nobody believes him. The, the people around Abraham didn't believe it. The preachers in our day don't believe it in our day, and multitudes of Christians. Christians don't believe it in our day. And they laugh too when you tell them what the Lord has planned to do in his people, that Jesus Christ is going to live in them. They laugh and scoff at you. They criticize you. And they throw obsolete verses at you and everything else. But he says here in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, I'm going to ask you something. Is it too hard for the Lord to mature and perfect his people? Well, if you believe it's too hard, it's going to be too hard. But if you don't, then you are accounted as righteous, and you are a seed of Abraham through faith. Verse 14, at the set time, I will return unto thee when the season comes around, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not. Well, maybe she didn't physically, but she did, didn't she? Because she was afraid 
And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. The, the Lord heard her laugh, and she named her son laughter. Praise God. Then in chapter 21 it says, in verse 5, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. Everyone that hears will laugh with me. Yeah. And I think this manifestation of the promised seed is Jesus. He came as that promised seed. And he's coming again as the promised seed to us. Because we, as Isaac was, are children of promise. He's coming once again to us. And Ishmael was about 14 when this happened. And it wasn't just a miracle of birth. It was a miracle of restoration of Abraham and Sarah. Because look what it says in verse 7. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should give children to suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. She was restored. Abraham was restored. And after all those years, God brought his promise to pass. But he waited. And he waited. And he waited. Until they thought it was impossible for them to do anything. Now, in the beginning, they were quite quick. And it didn't let, uh, take them long after God had made the promise until Sarah had come up with the Hagar substitute, did it? Let's go ahead and try this. We're going to try that, okay? The Lord makes a promise and he wants to fulfill it. And he wants to fulfill it his way. And men have all kinds of ingenuity. We're trained. From a small, a small child on up to save ourselves, aren't we? And yet God is a jealous God. He wants to be our Savior. Sarah was restored. Abraham was restored. He started a whole other family after this. He was a hundred years old and he started another whole family after this. He had at least six more children. If you look in chapter 25, it looks as though Abraham was 137. At that time, verse 1, And Abraham took another wife. For goodness sake, this was after he buried Sarah. And her name was Keturah. And she bare him six sons, Zimran, Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. And we don't know how many daughters because they usually didn't list the daughters. Could have been a bunch of daughters too, but he had, but he did have six sons. God restored that old man. And he almost lived two lives. At a hundred years old, he had his first son. And now at 137, he started having a whole other family. Until verse seven, he was 175 years old. Why did he live to be 175 years old? Well, I can tell you now it's because of a, a miracle of restoration had been done on his body, a DNA miracle of restoration. So he had, who had no power to bring forth fruit, and I suppose Sarah could represent the body of Christ. And she who had no womb that could have brought forth fruit, God did it for them because they believed after they got through with all of their laughter. And it didn't take long. It doesn't take long for God to fulfill. He has to wait until we get through with all of our foolishness so that he can fulfill it. 
It says his power is made perfect in weakness. It's either God is going to do it or you're going to do it, right? When you get through trying, God's still going to be there. He'll be ready. And he calls it what? He calls it a Sabbath. We have to learn to cease from our works and enter into God's rest where all of the promises are fulfilled. The Old Testament Sabbath rest was a type of our New Testament Sabbath rest of ceasing from our works every day to save ourselves and provide to do all of these things entering into that rest. And what is he? He calls it a Sabbatismos. Over in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, a Sabbatismos or a continual rest, not a one-day rest, we continually cease from our works and our efforts to bring to pass God's promises, which are all past tense. God already promised these things, and if he promised it, he's going to bring it to pass. And if he promised to heal you, if by his stripes you were healed, it's already there. It's already promised. It's already past tense. So if you keep his Sabbath, you have to accept that he has already done this. And that's why so many people miss out on it, because they really don't understand this. When we read the word of God, we have to be like a child in accepting what God says. He said in Matthew 18 and 1, In that hour came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, that's a real fleshly question, isn't it? They all wanted to know who was the greatest. Well, Jesus had a, a strange answer. Verse 2, and he called to him a little child and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye turn, which is another word for repent, and become as little children, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. That sounds dangerous, don't it? Except you become as a little child, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, where do we enter the kingdom? We have to enter the kingdom right here. Here is where we have to become as a child. And a child is someone who just accepts what the father says. Children are not as ingenious as grown-ups are. They haven't been trained year after year after year after year to save themselves. If they hear their father say something, it comes to them a lot easier than grown-ups. Verse 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, you know, this little child was willing to be the least in the midst of them. The one who would sit on the lap, the one who would not be counted as the greatest, and the one who knew he was not the greatest. The one who knew that he was not yet grown up. He was not yet capable. All these things that grown-ups seem to believe about themselves. And actually, a little child will receive miracles when grown-ups won't. Because a little child will believe and grown-ups won't. This little child was willing to be the least. <clears throat> and they all want to know who's the greatest. The person who is willing to be the least is the greatest. That's what Jesus was saying. It's not the person that seeks with selfish ambition to become the greater than everybody else. 
That's the greatest. It's the one that's willing to be the least. The greatest servant, the smallest in the midst. That's who God says is the greatest. Verse 5, And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receives me. That's where Jesus is. That's who Jesus lives in. The person who is willing to be the least, the servant of all. He said in one place, the greatest among you shall be your servant. People want to be the great one, don't they? But they don't want to be a servant of all. He said, when you find someone who's like this little child, that's where I am. You can see the giants in chapter 13 of the book of Numbers. We're all called to go into our promised land to conquer the giants, the great ones. And I know what people say naturally about these giants, and I ain't interested in that. And I think when you're looking at the parable, you want to look at the fulfillment of it. But this promised land is inhabited by the great ones that the people of the world think are great. Jesus said, if the world loves you, the Father does, does not. Those who are great in the world are small in the kingdom. That spiritual man who is the true seed of Abraham and the true seed of Jesus Christ, who is actually being created in his image, is the one that has been given the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, to put to death that old man that rules the land, the giant that rules the land. In Numbers 13, that's the story of the giants. And they went in and spied out the land and decided, well, we can't whoop them folks. There ain't no way. They're too big. In Numbers 13, 27, they told him and said, we came unto the land whether thou sentest us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Howbeit the people that dwell in the land are strong, and their cities are fortified and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And Amalek dwelleth in the land of the south, and the Hittite, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanite dwells by the sea, along by the side of Jordan. And Caleb still the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. He was confident, wasn't he? Just on the word of God, he was a little child. That's what he's talking about. Verse 31, But the men that went up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had spied out unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come of the Nephilim. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And just like I've shared before, so many people of God and their preachers claim that it's just not possible to take this land. You can't overcome. You can't be perfect. So just settle for being forgiven. But that old man who rules in the land is the one who wants to be the greatest. He's the one who wants to rule. And in the natural and in the carnal churches, he's the one that does rule. That old man rules. They've never been put to death. And to these preachers, they are not capable of conquering that old man. He's too big, he's too bad, impossible. But with God, it's just another one of those places where when the odds are against you, they're actually in your favor 
Because when you're small and when you're incapable, when you are weak, what did God say to Paul? He said, my power is made perfect in weakness. And he meant Paul's weakness. And so in this situation, this is where God loves to do miracles. If you're carnally minded, you think, well, this is an impossible situation. God ain't going to do this. We've never seen him do this before. That's where Abraham was. He had never seen it before, and Sarah had never seen it before. It was impossible. Now, we're coming to a time where God's going to finish the work of his people because we're coming to the end. Is God going to do it in these days? These are the days he said he was going to do it in. These are the days he said he was going to perfect his people. And these are the days he said he was coming again on the morning of the third day, right? As the rain, as the latter rain that waters the earth, as he said he would come. It goes on to say in number 14 and 1, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night because they believed the bad report. They thought it must be right according to nature. Look at those giants. Ain't no way we can conquer them. They even said in verse 4, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. They didn't want to see any more of those guys. They said, were it not better for us to return into Egypt? So many people come to the Lord and they return to Egypt because they have no hope of conquering the giants. They have no hope of ruling in this land. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 7 says, We are the land which has drunk the rain that comes oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meat for them, for whose sake it is also till. Then he said in uh, verse 7, If it bears thorns and thistles, it is rejected and nigh unto a curse, whose end is to be burned. Paul was saying in Hebrews 6, that where that land, and God wants the seed of Abraham, that promised seed, to be manifested in our land. Yeah, it's impossible for us to bring that uh, that forth by our own carnal nature. We've been too long under the curse like Abraham and Sarah. But it ain't according to us, is it? It's not according to our nature. It's not according to our ability. It's according to God's promise. And those who believe his promises are the true seed of Abraham. So you need to keep that in mind when things look impossible. Ain't nothing impossible with God. Glory to God, I can tell you that. We are the promised land according to Hebrews chapter 6. And God has given us, this spiritual man, victory over the carnal man. The Israelite was given a victory over the Canaanite by the virtue of the fact that God promised he was going to give them that land. They would rule that land and take their houses. And of course, this is our house. This brings us to the fact that when they went into the promised land, they saw these giants and they feared these giants because they were an ominous nation and that they thought they couldn't, could not conquer with their little old bitty nation that they had. But God had promised, but God. And I ain't no doubt in my mind that the giant represents the ego and the self. Every spirit that confesses not Jesus is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. First John 4 and 3. Every spirit. So we're talking about a corporate spirit of Antichrist. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you are against me. Matthew 12 and 30. And against me is anti, doesn't it? 
there's a body of anti-Christ, just like there's a body of Christ in the earth. That old man is a member of the body of the beast. He's a member of the anti-Christ. Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. So it's very much against you. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, right? Folks, there's a war going on. The beast against the Christ. These giants that they thought they couldn't take and their preachers were telling them they couldn't take, represent the overwhelming odds. And the old man who has always ruled their life was so big in their sight, they just didn't believe that they could conquer him. And the overwhelming majority of the witnesses who went in to spy out the land came back and caused the people's heart to stumble because they told the people in Numbers 13 and 21, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. Joshua and Caleb were faithful witnesses of the Lord. And they came back and they gave the good report, didn't they? The others gave the bad report. Numbers 13 and 30, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. And we know from Numbers 14 that those who gave the bad report died in the wilderness before the Lord. So this ego, this self-life that God has given us has to be conquered. We've got some awesome examples in the scriptures that when the odds are against you, it's always in your favor in the scriptures. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but God's people are always outnumbered in warfare when they won. They were outnumbered and they were outarmed by the Egyptians. And all the beast kingdoms that came against them were conquered by God. And this flesh seems to us, as we've lived in it all our lives, to be bigger than life, bigger than us, bigger than our ability. We've all tried to conquer the flesh on our own. Sometimes God has left us to our own abilities to teach us a lesson that the flesh can't be conquered by us since it's a part of us. And our own nature is not going to attempt to conquer our own nature, nor does it even want to go to the cross. The old man doesn't want to go to the cross. And for you to bring him to the cross would be extremely difficult. But for the Lord to do it and to work in you to will and to go of his good pleasure, it's just a matter of you exercising faith. And the situation we're looking at here in Numbers 13 seemed impossible to these people. And like I said, most of their preachers said it can't be done. And they still saying that tonight, but God has given us some awesome good examples in the scriptures. Paul is one of Apostle Paul, he's one of Paul's old man was a big man in the world. Paul was a big man in the ways of the world and religion. And he understood that the old man had to die. Now let's read some of Paul's bragging in Philippians chapter 3. Whenever Paul bragged in the scriptures, it wasn't to glorify himself, it was to make a point. And he's making a point here concerning his former life, even his former life in religion. There's a lot of Christians today who are in this same situation. The one ruling their life, even their religion, is the flesh. The big, big ego. The big self-life. And Paul is an example to us in that regard. He had much notoriety in religion. 
He was impressive and well-known and respected by the worldly eye. Uh, somebody who was big in the world. But Paul knew that person had to be conquered. He had to be crucified. And he says in Philippians 3 and 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Now, you know what the circumcision is, right? It's a symbol of cutting off of the flesh of the way a man sowed his seed. We know the eternal law of sowing and reaping is whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. The Bible tells us if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. So basically, the Lord came to cut off the flesh. So that we sow only a good seed and reap a good reward. And that's what Jesus came to do. Circumcision is also a New Testament symbol of baptism. And it's a symbol of death to the old man. So that when we sow our seed, we sow a good seed and reap a good reward. So he said, we who are of circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, here's the thing. The people who are circumcised, the people who have the flesh cut off, they glory in Christ. They don't glory in self. They're not proud of their achievements because they realize it didn't come from them. It came from God. Glory to God. It came from the Lord God Almighty, not us. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. darkest night what will be my guiding light the shining rays of red and white Jesus I trust in you oh, sacred heart in you I find mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine oh Jesus I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.
Jesus, I trust in 